Voyage. Suddenly, the hair on my neck just stood straight up. I got this horrible feeling that someone was watching me. If you're someone who has never lived close to the border between the United States and Mexico, when you think of it, you may think of crossing checkpoints, a wall, some sort of physical barrier separating the two sides. You may think of the border as a separation even more than that, where life is one way on one side and another way on the other side. If there's one thing to take away from this story, it's that that isn't true. This is the story of a terrible crime that took place in Texas in 1985. 14 hours of rape, torture, and terror. It's also the story of the unexpected spiritual awakening and fluency in Spanish that occurred during the crime on the part of the survivor. The survivor of this crime went to Mexico in search of justice and learned the awful history of her assailant. Later, she received a surprising form of justice when the perpetrator was mysteriously kidnapped from a Mexican jail by unknown armed men and left alone in his underwear in Texas to be picked up by law enforcement. Nothing in this story is cut and dried, not even the name of the person at the center of it. Her name is Jan Woodward, but to anyone who knows her, her name is Jason. I'll let her explain. I got the name of Jason, a nickname, in a fairly conventional way, but I'll start by saying that my given name is Janice. I met my first husband, who was in law school, he was from New York, and he despised the way Texans pronounced one-syllable names. He said they always put at least two, sometimes three syllables. So it's Mike or it's Jan, and he just hated it. And so he started calling me Jay. And uh, then it became an endearing term that became Jason. And everybody I knew in that era called me Jason and I just stayed Jason. So when I started to write, I decided to use that for my pen name. So even though my given name is Jan, I go by Jason quite a bit. You'll hear Jason referred to interchangeably as Jan or Jason during the interviews and throughout this series. At the time of this event, I, I was a single mother and I had gone through a fairly bad divorce and had spent three years traveling through Central America. As my son neared school age, I got pretty nervous and decided that although I didn't want to, I really needed to get back to the United States. And I was traveling with uh, several friends at the time and one of them saw how anxious I was about coming back to the States. And uh, he said, well, you know, I know this place it's America. It's like America. It's called West Texas. It's Brewster County. And I went to school there. I think you'd like it. And so I ended up in Brewster County and I was hired by a rancher whose wife was battling cancer and he still had five children at home. And so I was hired to help on the ranch mostly in the home 
and his eldest son, Trey, and I fell in love. Trey, he's important. He's coming back later. I can't tell you why, but trust me, you'll want to remember him. In fact, all the details you're going to hear about Jason's life before this event, where she lived, who she knew, her job, her familiarity with the border, will all come back into play in this story in crucial and often unexpected ways. So I had been going through Central America. Now I was back in Brewster County on a ranch and spent a wonderful year working on that ranch. Trey handled the cattle, and I did the rock shop duties and welcomed our guests and tried to keep up with the younger kids uh, cooking and such for them. And so this went on for about a year until Trey's mother did pass, and his father came back to the ranch. And although his father liked me, I was not the favorite pick that he had in mind for his eldest son. And so everything became a little strained and I decided that really it was time for me to move on. And I I got an offer for a job as postmaster in a little area known as Terlingua, just 80 miles south of the ranch. And so we were pretty young and 80 miles didn't seem like it would be much of a hindrance to our relationship, but it would just be a lot easier for us to um, have a relationship, not being right under the nose of his father. And so I moved the 80 miles to this area known as Terlingua, and I took the job as postmaster. Trey and I tried to stay in touch and see each other as often as we could, but that became impossible with my job and his duties on the ranch. Uh, We slowly drifted apart. And so I was just living in the area with my son, who is now going to the small school. Here's Jason's son, Noah. Noah is one of the many people connected to this story you'll hear from throughout this series. My name is Noah Davison. And I am Jason's son and only child. Prior to this event, in my life, I was going to elementary school, Terlingua, Texas, population 300 most of the year, except for the chili cook-off weekend, and it's like 30,000. Nothing to do. Absolutely nothing to do. It's the desert. It's like the desert of Southern California. Most people don't think that's here in Texas, but it is. And in those days, unless you had a satellite dish, you didn't have television. And in those days, a satellite dish was like a slab had to be poured for the thing. (laughs) So I kind of grew up without television. And I had a couple of friends that had dirt bikes. And we rode in the desert and played along the Terlingua Creek and the river. And I was pretty unhappy in, in the moment growing up there because I felt so deprived. Um, Looking back on it as an adult, I see now that it was actually a very unique upbringing and I'm actually blessed to to come to have lived there and through that. It just at the time, you know, I didn't get MTV. I didn't have this and I didn't get to do that. You know, there was my school was maybe 65 kids. They'd have three grades in one room with one teacher. 
and it was K through eight. There was no high school at the time. Yes, Terlingua is such a unique area of Texas. And it's, it's been said, you either love it or you hate it. If you're used to lots of foliage like you may have in the Pacific Northwest, then you may not like just the stark beauty. But along with that comes the realization that there are no urban centers within 500 miles of us in any direction. At the time, there were only three phones in the whole area. We were completely our own island. We did have one constable, and eventually we had one deputy sheriff who was stationed there. But there was no 911 to call. There were no neighbors right next door. In fact, people, those two or 300 people were spread miles and miles apart. And so it was a very unique place to live, but you had to be a pretty hardy soul to be able to stay there. This area was a wonderful cultural mix of people from both sides of the United States border, the Rio Grande, and people moved freely. It wasn't until 9-11 that people were not uh, able to move freely back and forth across the river. And so we would have big social gatherings. Maybe once a month there would be a dance uh, at a small town called Lajitas, which is right on the border. And people from Mexico would come and people from Texas would come. Since there were no grocery stores in the Terlingua area, we would uh, oftentimes travel the oh, 60, 65 miles down to Presidio and cross over into Mexico into a, a town called Ojinaga. The restaurants were wonderful and the people were very friendly. This is a story full of people who love Mexico and spent time interchangeably between Texas and Mexico as a fact of their lives living on the border. This is the story of a crime committed by a person who happened to be Mexican. This happened on October 25th, 1985. The day prior to this event, I had taken that Friday off from my job to be able to go into Alpine and buy groceries and just have the day off. So I had spent the night, Friday night, in Alpine bought my groceries, enjoyed my town trip, and came home, oh, I guess about midday, Saturday. And my son was staying with one of his friends in Lajitas for the weekend. I was about, I was 11 years old. That particular weekend, I had left to go stay with a good friend of mine. Um, and his parents had a pretty nice house there. So my friend's parents did have a satellite dish, and I would stay there quite often with, with him. He, the top story of the house was basically his room, so we could romp and play, you know, drink Cokes and get wired out of our minds on all the junk food and watch MTV you know, and make all the noise we wanted and not bother anybody. And um, it was kind of far from Terlingua. Like I said, it was 17 miles, which isn't all that far, but when you're in the middle of the desert, like, 
like literally the middle of the desert where they tell you a flat tire could be the difference between life and death. It, I thought of it as far. I rode, rode my motorcycle there and back. And he, he did the same when he'd stay with me. And it was kind of like a, a whole adventure. And that, that's basically what I was doing. So he wasn't there to help me unload my truck. So I got busy unloading all of my groceries and whatever I had bought in town. Um, big sacks of cat food. I had three cats. And uh, so I was going back and forth from my driveway into my house and noticed that my cats were gone. They, they weren't anywhere. And usually they would be clamoring at the cat chow bags. And so it was odd. It struck me as odd. And I thought, well, they've just gone out walking around and um, continued putting away my groceries and I just had an uneasy feeling. It became more stringent in my mind as the evening wore on. You, you just need to get in your truck and maybe just go drive around. Just get in your truck and drive around. And I thought, well, how silly is that? I've just driven a hundred miles from Alpine. I, I don't need to get in my truck and go drive around. And um, maybe just go talk to some people at the store. You just, you just need to leave. And I got fed up with this because it was beginning to be uh, really in my consciousness. So I went in to the kitchen to get a glass of water and remembered that it was a full moon night, that the Comanche moon was going to rise that night and it's so beautiful in the desert when of course all the moon phases are beautiful in the desert but the comanche moon is a a harvest moon it's huge it's bright it's orange it's just fall is my favorite uh, season anyway and so i thought oh that's right um i want to be sure and be standing outside where i can watch the moonrise. And so before that was going to happen, I remembered that I had some Mexican currency that I wanted to trade uh, when I picked my son up in Lajitas the next day. I wanted to trade it for American dollars. And so I got the currency and sat down and started counting it so I could figure out how much American it would be. And um, suddenly the hair on my neck just stood straight up. I got this horrible tingling feeling that someone was watching me. And I thought, that is ridiculous. How could someone be watching? There's a window right behind you, but this part of the house is raised up someone would have to be eight feet tall to be looking in that window. And so I started talking myself down from this gut feeling of being watched. And in case someone was watching me, I never raised my eyes. I just kept the money in my lap and had these thoughts until I gathered enough courage and stood up and turned and faced the window. And sure enough, no one was there. And I thought, how silly, how silly that you, <laughs> you're doing all this to yourself. 
uh, by now it's uh, twilight. And so when I looked out the window, I thought I better go outside so I can watch the moon rise. And that's when I walked out to the part of my sidewalk that had the best uh, view of the moon. And that's where I was standing when he grabbed me. Next time on Borderline, Jason experiences a spiritual guidance that helps her navigate an impossible situation and, incredibly, forgives her assailant during the crime. Alone with this dangerous man, Jason must use her wits and knowledge of the area to find a way to escape with her life. That's next time. I'm Paget Brewster, and this is Borderline. Borderline is a production of Voyage Media. The series is based on Jason's book, Borderline, A True Story of Courage and Justice, available on Amazon. A link is in the show notes. You can help support Borderline by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you're listening. This helps spread word about the show. And subscribe now for future episodes. When 27-year-old Gretchen Fleming leaves a West Virginia bar with a former police officer on a winter night in 2022, she's never seen again. Diligent investigators close in on an ex-cop with an unlikely story and an unsettling reputation in a recent episode of the Unsolved True Crime podcast, Last Seen Alive. Last Seen Alive is a true crime podcast researched, written, and hosted by crime analyst Leah Owens. Cases covered include disappearances, homicides, and suspicious deaths, all of them unsolved and all of them in need of tips from the public. Recognizing the right piece of information can sometimes be the difference between a cold case and resolution. Last Seen Alive exists to bring public awareness to cases that need it. Listen to Gretchen's story and more than 100 other gripping mysteries as told by a working crime analysis professional. Find Last Seen Alive wherever you listen to podcasts.